0: Would you take the Word of God with me and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 19? Acts uh, chapter 19, as I've repeated in our study of the book of Acts, it is not everything uh, that happened in the first century churches, but the book of Acts is everything that God wants us to know happened. And uh, so certainly we should uh, uh, make careful study because much more could be said. Uh, we can even think about the uh, Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Gospel of John mentions that if we uh, wrote down everything that Jesus did, the books could not contain all the work that Jesus did. And I think in a sense we could say we have summary statements in the book of Acts that uh, the whole world was turned upside down, Uh, Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine of the apostles, and all those things are amazing to think about. We just have a a view of what God wants us to know happened. And here in Acts chapter 19, we are looking at uh, the work of God in the city of Ephesus, which was the capital city of Asia Minor. It was a port city. We talked about uh, some of the religion that was going on there, particularly centered around the temple of Diana in the city of Ephesus. Uh, As we look here, I want to bring your attention back to the first part of the chapter in verse 10. We have a summary statement. If you remember, when Paul went in there, he met some of the disciples of John the Baptist and they realized that they had missed Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ had already come. He had ascended to heaven and the promise of the Father, that is the Holy Ghost, uh, came down and they had missed it and so now they believe they are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They were 12 in number and uh, then God uh, God led Paul to, uh, because of the opposition in the synagogue there to began to meet in the school of uh, Tyrannus. Uh, For two years, he taught there and disputed in that school. And I want you to notice in verse 10, uh, the Bible says, "And And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. So when we look at the ministry of Ephesus in the first part, in the first 10 verses, we see here the word of God and... The scope of its influence. The scope of its influence. The Bible says that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. And so that's the scope of the influence of God's word. In the second part, as we're still in Ephesus, but we're going to look at another summary verse, and I believe here we see the word of God and its power to prevail. The word of God and its power to prevail. And by the way, my prayer today is that we would be able to have a great scope of influence, not for the name of the church, but for the glory of God. And also, I want us to see how the Word of God can prevail as it did here in Ephesus. And so let's read together in Acts chapter 19. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 19. We're going to begin reading in verse 11 and read down to verse 20. So Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Let me read that again. (laughs) And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Who wrought miracles? God, not Paul. Paul was an instrument, but it was God. Verse 12, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. I have a handkerchief here. That's what a handkerchief is. I'll talk about that in just a moment. And the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had "...evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one, uh, Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them." So that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Here it is, verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And so I would like here to look at verse 20 and get my message here from that verse. I'd like to preach this morning on the word of God grew and prevailed. The word of God grew and prevailed. May that be... Uh, our prayer for First Day Baptist Church. That the Word of God would grow and that it would prevail. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. Lord, might we be instructed. Uh, We know that as we receive instruction, there's an element of how You want to work in our hearts personally, but there is also an element as how You want to work in the life of this church. (coughs) And Lord, certainly we ask that You would help us to be a first century church. We desire, Lord, not only for your word to have a great influence in its scope, but we also want to see your word growing, not only in our lives, (coughs) but in the lives of those we know, and that your word of God would prevail. So we ask that you would help us this morning, give us understanding, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to move quickly here through the first part of this this account here, but as we begin here in verse 11, we see here, by the way, we we read what we read uh, leading up to the statement of verse 20. And so really what we read leading up to verse 20 describes the circumstances that brought about the Word of God growing and prevailing. And so let's uh, spend some time really leading up to that verse, see what happens here in Ephesus. No doubt in the first part, there's a great work going on. Certainly there was 12 disciples of John who became disciples of Jesus Christ. And no doubt God used them to have a great influence, not just in Ephesus, but also in all of Asia Minor. As we continue in our text here in verse 11... We read of additional things that happened in Ephesus. And what we read about here, it's it's important to know that it did not happen everywhere Paul went. When we think about the miracles, certainly we think about Jesus Christ. There were miracles that were there to accompany, to validate His Messiahship. But also when we read about the apostles in the book of Acts, God also uh, brought about great miracles by the hand of the apostles, But it's important to know that those miracles did not happen everywhere that the disciples went. It seems to me, as we (coughs) study through the book of Acts, that those only happened when God deemed it necessary. And by the way, they were there as signs to confirm the first century church. I've mentioned throughout the book of Acts, we don't need signs today. The reason we don't need signs today is because those were there to validate the first century church, and since the church has already been validated, there is no need for the church to be validated again. Now, I want you to notice here, because the verse mentions something, so it says here in verse 11 that God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. Now what we note immediately is first of all the source of the miracles, and the source of the miracles is God Himself. Uh, uh, Paul himself is not the source of the miracles. As a matter of fact, if you remember all the the missionary journeys of Paul, you show me another city, will that happen? You will not find one. Everywhere that Paul went, what did he do? He preached the gospel. The majority of the cities that Paul ministered to, there were no miracles that were done there. As a matter of fact, throughout all of his Asia Minor journeys, you find that in many of them... He was opposed, and one of them he was stoned to death. And so we don't find all those miracles done everywhere that Paul went, but there we find them here in the city of Ephesus. But God reminds us immediately that these were not the miracles of Paul. These were the miracles that were wrought by God. The miracles were done by God's choosing. And this is very important because today I believe that we have a bunch of charlatans who stand in churches today who, who claim some divine power or ability to work some miracles and, the, and they don't recognize that the book of Acts, it is God who did that indiscriminately. Not by the will of men, but by the will of God. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, who was the first one that was the disciples, who would become the apostles, God also bearing them witness. They didn't bear witness of themselves. God bore witness of them. How did He do that? Both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. You see, the miracles that we read in the book of Acts were not done by the will of man. Paul did not come to Ephesus and he said, oh, I want to do miracles here. No, when when, uh, Paul arrived in Ephesus, God says, I'm going to do some miracles here. It was done by the will of God, not by the will of Paul. Now, we see the source of the power, but we also see the manifestation of the power. Notice verse 11 tells us, or verse verse 11 says that God wrought, notice, special miracles. And at first I read that expression, I thought to myself, well, aren't all miracles special? (laughs) Right? They're they're supernatural in nature. Uh, We would think that all miracles were special, but here I think that they are uh, really special than the miracles that that have been done uh, thus far. The Bible says here, I think that the miracles are no doubt already special in that they were not common, but however, these miracles are compared, I think they're special when they are compared to other miracles. Uh, and we've already seen that they stand out as special here. Now, they were special, I believe, not because they were miracles, but because of the way they were performed. Now, Sometimes the Bible says that miracles were done, but here the Bible says gives us the way that the miracles were performed, and so that's why I believe that the word "special" there is used. They were performed; the miracles were performed through articles of dress which had been in contact with Paul's body. Notice with me, verse 11, uh, verse twelve. So that now there is a there is a colon after verse eleven. Notice God wrought special miracles by the hands of, of Paul. Here is the description of what made those miracles special. Verse 12, so that from his body, whose body? Paul's body, were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So two uh, articles are mentioned, handkerchiefs and aprons. Now the handkerchiefs were basically cloths that were used to wipe sweat off of a person right? I have a handkerchief here. Some people use it to wipe off sweat. That would be something like that. Aprons, that was what workers wore to protect clothes when working. And so often they would put something around them to protect their clothing, uh, particularly when it pertains to manual labor. And so here the Bible says that those miracles were special because it was not just if you would, Paul saying doing a miracle by touching somebody, but rather it was when these articles, this handkerchief and the apron, when they came in contact with Paul, when somebody would take those articles on somebody, then that person would be healed. So it's a special miracle. It's never been done that way before. Now a small indication we have is when, you remember when Jesus Christ was walking and a woman touched the hem of his garment and she was healed. He saw that virtue came out of him. And so we find some similarities there, but nothing has been done like that in the book of Acts. But here it is done in Ephesus. And so it is important here to see that that God did not do this everywhere that Paul went. It was special here for Ephesus. And uh, as we see here, so we see here that the miracles by the hand of Paul, God was the source of those miracles. And those miracles were special because of how they were manifested, unlike anything that's been seen in the book of Acts. Now, as we proceed, we see now, proceeding from this, is the, we find the temporal interests and the covetousness of Ephesus. Uh, if you notice here what happens because of what is going on, you, could, you can think about the buzz that's going on. If you could just kind of throw a handkerchief on Paul, if it maybe touches him, and then we can take that handkerchief and then bring it and then somehow rub it against this person that's sick and that person is healed. That's what was going on there. Wow, that's spectacular. Now let's see what proceeded out of that. Verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you, by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew, and a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered. Now, this is peculiar. This is really interesting. He said to those guys who basically are trying to cast out these evil spirits by the name of Jesus Christ that Paul preaches, they look and he says, well, we know Jesus Christ. We even know Paul. But who are you? Who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, that's really interesting what happens here. But let's think about what is going on. Now, these men that are described are called vagabonds. Now, the idea of a vagabond means a traveler, someone who is an itinerant someone who is a wanderer. Uh, Siva, there were seven sons of Siva. Siva is mentioned as a chief priest. Now, they were Jews, but this it is doubtful here that he was a chief priest of Judaism. Rather, he was a chief priest of probably the false religion of exorcists. Um, we see here, there were certain of the vagabond Jews. Exorcists took upon them to call over them that had evil spirits, Uh, the name of the Lord Jesus uh, uh, spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth now what is the idea of exorcist here what is that well these men basically if you there's different styles and different ideas about that today if you do some research but it boils down to this that these men would claim to have the ability to communicate with the spirit world Okay, to have the ability to cast out evil spirits, to have the ability to communicate with the spirit world and to uh, basically do what they, to, to claim some type of power and ability that is beyond most people. And so these men, now they are vagabonds as well. They are travelers. They are itinerants. They are wanderers. And the idea of those men is that they travel primarily to make money. It was common in those days. As a matter of fact, if you remember, Paul was accused of that because he would travel from city to city to city, he would preach the gospel, he tried to, he tried to get people uh, to believe his message, but something that was different about Paul is that he never asked for money. It's interesting that even Paul was so careful. You remember when he was in Thessalonica, he worked with his own hands. Now, why did he do that? He believed that a man who, li- who preached the gospel should live of the gospel, but he knew the circumstances around him, and the circumstances were such that the people were acquainted and knew that people travel from city to city as a business to make money. And so those exorcists here... Were itinerants, they were travelers, they were trying to make money. And so, what were they after here? These men are after money. They are seeking for success, and they would do anything to achieve greater success, greater reputation, greater riches. And so, what are they trying to do here? They are trying to duplicate what was being done through Paul. Now, they do not succeed. By the way, it's interesting here, and and, and let me just uh, put a plug in here. There are many people today who claim to have some special healing power. A lot of those, not all TV preachers are bad, but most of them are. And you know how they all, they have a message and they say, hey, if you buy this oil, if you buy this handkerchief, if you buy this, this over here, and, and, and it will heal you, or God will answer your prayer, if you just send us... Your money. That's what they do. As a matter of fact, uh, it, you would be scarce to find, I don't know anybody, that says, hey, we'll send you something for free. And if it is, they'll probably typically pay for shipping, which is three times the cost of shipping. They're making their money somewhere. Let me say that these are charlatans. They claim some type of power, some type of ability to do but what is the motivation behind them to make money? It's interesting that many of those who have those big TV channels and who sell all those things, many of them are millionaires and live in mansions. That's interesting. So don't buy into those things. Uh, Often people are desperate. They are looking for healing and they prey on the most desperate of people, the people that are the most broken and are, that are in the most need and they rob them, they are deceivers. And so here we find that these are the same. They're looking for a way here. If they can just get a hold of one handkerchief that Paul has touched, then they will have the power and the ability to cast out those evil spirits. Well, here's the thing. God knows what they're up to. And so it is possible in the town already that some people had been involved in doing that that they had got a a hold of a a handkerchief or an apron and that somebody had been healed. But here God makes a a point to confront those uh, men, and it's not God Himself, but really the evil spirit, who talks to them and says, basically, I know Jesus Christ and I know Paul, but I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You have no power. Why? Because those evil spirits that had been cast out, they had been cast out by the power of God, not by the power of men. Now, what happens after that is basically that man with the evil spirit takes on those seven men and he has his way with them. Let's put it that way. Without going into all the description, he has his way with them. By the time he's done with them, the running from, the Bible says, the house naked, that just means that their clothing was ripped apart because of that. And the Bible just says that the spirit leaped on them He overcame them, prevailed against them, and they fled out of that house. So can you imagine the scene? It was chaotic there, but the evil spirits basically had His way with them, and it was one against seven. And they run out. And now the city hears about that, and what is the result of that? So it's interesting what happens as a result of that, and that's really what I want to emphasize. Often people, they like to dwell on all those things and what happened, but notice what the result of that is in verse 17. And this was known. What was known? What these men had attempted to do and what they came out and how they came out. And this was known. Now, the reason why it was known is probably because they try to do this publicly. You know they're after money. And so they probably not only went to the house, but they say, probably gathered a crowd around and they said to the crowd, hey, we're going to go into this house. We're going to heal this man. The spirit's going to flee out of him. And then we're going to come out and you're going to see a man who is whole and we've done this. And so they probably built... Uh, A crowd around and the people are excited to see and you can imagine they see them they're expecting out of the house expecting something is great it's going to happen it's going to be wonderful and then they see those seven guys running out of the house all tore up and they're thinking well I guess they failed but notice what the result is this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all and notice here And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now, I I was thinking, how is the Lord magnified by these men running out, beaten up, and clothed tore up? Well, I think if you notice here that the evil spirit, somehow this came around. The evil spirit says, I don't know you. I know Jesus. I even know Paul, but I don't know you. The, The name of the Lord was magnified. Verse 18, And so, when the name of the Lord is magnified, what happens? Verse 18, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and founded 50,000 pieces of silver. So, notice here, Their knowledge of what happened brought fear. And when they feared... The name of the Lord was magnified. Then, when they feared through the knowledge that they received and the name of the Lord was magnified, the Bible says they began to confess their wickedness and they showed the practices that they had been involved in. Notice here, uh, the Bible says here, many of them, or, or verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed. And showed their deeds. Well, it is apparent here that many of those people in Ephesus, not just those who had uh, those seven Jews who were exorcists, but many of the people in Ephesus had been engaged in what? Well, verse 19 says they used curious arts. Uh, The word curious there means magical, and so. Uh, you, you know they they sometimes they were working some type of of magic or trickery or scheme um, they burned them they had books and with formulas and things like that. by the way, those things are still around today they 've always been around it 's not something that 's new to today today you think about the occult, all those things involved there people they do certain things they 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 they, they make people think that they have a connection to the spirit world. By the way, a lot of that stuff is real, by the way. There is a spirit world. And it is wicked and it is evil. Uh, By the way, for many of these people, you just look how they dress, how they speak. It is evident by their lifestyle, the things that they've been given over to. Now, uh, their knowledge of what happened brought fear, and when they feared the name of the Lord, uh, they feared the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. But then they began, notice, to confess their wickedness, and they showed the practices that they had been involved in. Isn't that interesting? That um, when they they hear this, what is going on? All of a sudden, these men they began to confess. Now, to confess means to to declare what is to say the same thing uh, that that God says about it. And so many of them says. I've been using curious arts. I've been using uh, some magical books, and and uh, I've been involved in this type of lifestyle. I've been involved with the idea here of of the spirit world, and I've been worshiping uh, some false gods. And, and so they confessed that those who believed the Bible says they they confessed, and the Bible says they showed their deeds they would bring the book says this is what we've been involved in they brought it to paul and says this is what we've been doing this is the life that we've been leading this is what we've done here it is and now we believe on the lord jesus christ we want to show you the life that we've been involved in and they went about what do they do Uh, so there was fear the lord was magnified. Then they confessed, and they showed what they had been involved in, and then they went about to do what? To rid themselves of everything that was unholy. They did so, by the way, it's interesting, they did so publicly around a bonfire. They publicly confessed and showed their deeds, So you read here that in verse 19, and they burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. All right. So I want to spend some time here in verse 19 to to ask the question, why did they do that? Why did they confess? Why did they show? Why did they burn the books? And why did they, they do all that? Well, I, I want to give you a number of reasons uh, and show you what, what this tells us about what was going on in, in Ephesus and the work of God. By the way, this is right before, verse 19 is right before verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Well, what happened right before that? That God says, what is the circumstances of what happened in Ephesus that caused the word of God to grow and to prevail? Well, they burned the things that they had used in for, as avenues to perform wickedness. So I want you to see, first of all, it showed a contempt for their sin. It showed a contempt for their sin. Just the fact that they would take those items and that they would confess them publicly and that they would show what they had been involved in and then that they would burn them, it shows a contempt for sin. In other words, their life that they had been involved in before they believed, now they come and they say, we've been wrong. And now we, we abhor those things. We have a contempt for that sin and that lifestyle. It not only showed a contempt for their sin, but also I believe it showed an intention to never go back to their sin. Think about the fact that they didn't say, all right, well, I'm going to take, uh, uh, we could say here, those um, books and the curious, uh, curious arts, the magical arts and articraft and things like that. We're just going to put them aside. No, no, no. They came in a public fashion and they said, we're going to burn them. Why? Because we never want to go back to that. We want to rid our lives completely of the lifestyle, of any reminder, of any curious arts, of any books that we've read after and that we've sought to duplicate. And so here it showed an intention to never go back to their sin. Thirdly, we see I believe it showed a desire for accountability. Just the fact here that the Bible says that this was done in a public fashion now, we might think here today, well, you know, is it okay for someone to say, you know what, I've, done. I've been involved in this sin, and I'm going to confess this before the Lord? And that's a good thing to do, and we ought to do that. But there are occasions here, as we see in Ephesus, where they uh, burn those things publicly, Because it shows that there was a desire for accountability. They wanted everybody to know that we've forsaken this life. We've forsaken those curious arts. We've forsaken those books. And we want everybody to know by way of accountability that we from now on are going to serve God. We're not going to be involved in that life anymore. Now, you know, we live in a world that doesn't want to be accountable. Everybody wants to... Be kept to themselves and let me do my own thing. I'm not hurting anybody. But there's a sense where that accountability, by the way, accountability is a good thing. Parents, if you have children, it's good for your children to be accountable to you, for you to know what they're doing, to know uh, how much time they spend online, to know who they're texting, all those things. There is accountability. And accountability is good. Why? Because accountability protects. It protects. And so here it showed a desire for accountability, but also I think we see that it would make also future temptation difficult. If they take their books and their curious arts and they burn them, how easy would it be to recuperate those things? It's going to be very difficult. Why? Because they're gone. They're burned up. There's no way that you can get those back. And so here, there is something positive about that where they they, they cast this out. And I think that it's a good example for us because when we think about maybe uh, things that we've dealt with in the past, we have to ask ourselves those same questions. Is there a contempt for sin in our lives? Uh, Do we have an intention? Uh, Do we demonstrate an intention never to go back to that sin? Is there a desire for accountability in our lives? And uh, is there an, an intention that, we negate any future temptation or are we purposeful in making future temptation difficult? The man who's been a drunk and has struggled that with most of his life but then came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be appropriate for him to say at some point, say, well, you know what? I'm going to purposely never go by in the store and go by the liquor section. Don't want to be tempted with it. I'm not going to walk by. I'm not going to entertain it. And so there is an element here that uh, they, they, they are making any future temptation difficult to go back to the curious arts and to go back to those books. By the way, we know because the, the, the spirit world is real that there is some type of measure of they saw some things that they were impressed with. We know early on, you remember when there was in Samaria, there was a man who had performed miracles who had a following after them. And so it's not like people were not amazed by what was going on. But they don't want to go back to it. And so they're going to, they burnt it. But there's another thing I see here that it destroyed the opportunity of others to be involved in their same sin. Those curious arts and those books were great in value. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. The Bible gives us the amount of money it cost, And I think it's not just because it's a random fact. It's, I think it, it's there to tell us that they could have sold that. They could have sold all that they burned up. Notice at the end of verse uh, 19, and, found, uh, and they counted the price of them and founded 50,000 pieces of silver. <laughs> by the way, that's a lot of money. And so, by the way, these people, it's interesting, these people have given themselves, they had been involved in, they had been in bondage to that type of life that it cost them so much money. And now that they want to rid themselves of that, they burned it. Uh, The apostle Paul was probably sitting there and they're bringing those books and those different artifacts that were used for all types of different reasons. And Paul's right now said, well, that costs this much and that costs this much and that costs this much. And not one person wanted to sell those things to make money off of it. Well, i got to recuperate my money. No, they probably thought to themselves, we don't want anybody else to be involved in that. We're just going to burn it. What's well, an opportunity for you to make money. We don't want to see anybody in bondage to that type of life any longer. So let me remind you of here what happens. Their burning of all of those curious hearts and those books showed a contempt for their sin. It showed an intention to never go back to their sin. It showed a desire for accountability. It would make any future temptation difficult. And it destroyed the opportunity of others to be involved in the same sin. And so I ask ourselves, is that our spirit? Now, certainly, I, I don't think that anybody here, to my knowledge, is involved in those things, though, that type of life. But the truth is, any uh, bondage to sin is bondage nonetheless. And sometimes it is necessary for us to get to the place, as these uh, people here, they confess and they show their deeds. They confess and, look, this is what, by the way, publicly, this is what I've been involved in. And here is what I've used to accomplish what I, the way that I've lived in this life. And it's a wicked life. And so I want everybody to know that I'm going to burn this. Uh, I, I, I hate the sin. I don't want to go back to the sin. I want everybody to know that from now on I want to serve God. I want to make sure that I make any temptation to that very difficult. And I certainly don't want anybody else to be involved in that same lifestyle. Verse 20. So, that word so connects us to the previous verse. So, because of what happened here in Ephesus, because these people were so purposeful, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Now, do you notice the progression? At the beginning, we read Paul, special miracles by his hand. God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. Wonderful things. But then some people try to duplicate the miracles, and they're not able to do that. And because of that, when they see them basically vanquished by the evil spirit, fear falls on them. And they begin, notice, uh, the name of Jesus was magnified. I, I want you to see here, Paul was not magnified. The miracles were not magnified. The handkerchiefs and the aprons were not magnified. The Lord Jesus was magnified. And when the Lord Jesus is magnified, then they confess, they show, they forsake all of their sin. And they do so in a public way, in a purposeful way. And then, what the, what is the result of that? What is the growth? Is there more miracles that come out of that? What is it that grows? More miracles? Are the miracles multiplying? Are more people able to do what Paul did in those miracles? Are now people able to cast out spirit? No, no, no. It's not what that is about at all. He says so. The result of that is the word of God grew and it prevailed. You see, it's not the victory was not done by the miracles. The victory was not brought about because of the miracles by the hand of Paul. The miracles were brought about as the word of God grew and the word of God prevailed. Well, Ephesus, I've already noted last week, was a very wicked city. Uh, we talked about it a little while of the temple of Diana. It was basically a prostitute temple where people could be engaged in all kind of sin and wickedness. And uh, evidently, much of the city was given over to curious arts and to books that were part of what we would refer to today as the the occult and the spirit world, and people were given over to those things, and what gets the victory? I tell you, it's not miracles that will get the victory. Some of them, I say, well, uh, if if we can just have the power of God, if God gives us the ability to do miracles, then we can conquer the world. No, the world will not be conquered by miracles. The world will be conquered by the Word of God. It is powerful. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the Word of God is quick and and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of, of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. Paul said that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so somebody might say, well, we need more power today. No, we need more preaching and teaching of God's Word. We need to spread the Gospel to those who do do not know. We need to see the Word of God growing and the Word of God prevailing. And we say, okay, well, uh, what does it look like when the Word of God prevails? It looks like verse 19. 18 and 19. When God's Word prevails, what happens? People confess and show their deeds. Say, I've been involved in a life outside of God. I've been wicked and here's the life I've been involved in and I want to burn all that up. I don't want to go back to it. I want to, from this day forward, I want to, to serve the Lord. And I sure don't want anybody to be involved in the type of life that I've led. You see, there is, a, there is an element, by the way, he says here in uh, verse 18, and many that believed came. Now, this is very simple, but the reason why they confessed and they showed and they burned is because they had believed. They had believed. Believe in what? Well, he just says that the, Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So they believed what? They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You read throughout the book of Acts, the preaching of Jesus Christ was at the forefront of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, we saw early on in verse 10 uh, that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. So the preaching was clear and the response of the people was significant. I wonder, is there anybody this morning, you, you, you may not. Know for certain that you're a believer in Christ. And what I mean a believer in Christ, what I mean is here, I'm trying to be very specific because I'm not saying that you don't believe that Jesus existed or you don't believe that He died on the cross, but that you've never come to the realization yourself that you are a, a sinner on your way to hell because of your sin and that you are in rebellion against God and that you're the enemy of God but that God loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your sin debt. And then when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He, was, he took your sin upon Himself. The Bible says He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. If you've never come to that realization that you're a sinner on your way to hell because you're condemned and under the wrath of God but you've turned to Christ and see that He is your Savior. He died for your sins. He became sin for you so that you might not spend an eternity in hell but that you might live forever with Him in heaven. You must realize what Jesus Christ did for you. And just a mental agreement is not enough. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I can't get to heaven on my own. My works are not enough. I need to be justified. I need to be made righteous. I need to be forgiven. And that happens through Christ. Jesus in His life, He said, No man cometh unto the Father by my I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents went to church. They took me to church even when I was sick. We lived in a different time. Uh, I feel bad in the morning. I throw up. And I said, Dad, I'm sick. I throw up. Look. And he says, Oh, well, good. Don't you feel better now? Let's go to church. That's—I don't remember ever visiting church, um, but that didn't make me a Christian. I memorized Bible verses, I prayed, I read my Bible, I did all those things, but none of those things made me a Christian. I became a Christian when, at eight years old, I realized for the first time that I was the sinner that I was in rebellion against God, that I was the one for whom Christ died. Me. You see, I grew up in a missionary home, and I thought, well, we need to reach all the heathen people out there. And I didn't recognize that I was the heathen. And when I realized that I was the heathen, I realized finally, although I knew mentally in my mind that Christ died for my sins, I realized in that moment that I was the one who was the alien from God, the enemy of God, but that God wanted to reconcile me through Christ. And then, when I realized that at eight years old, everything changed in my life. The things that I memorized now became true and real, and they, I understood them. And so I say that to you because you may come to church week after week after week, but you may not be saved. You may have gone to church most of your life, but you may not be saved. And I'm not trying to place any doubt on you, but I'm saying to you there's a difference between knowing the facts about what Jesus did and knowing that He died for you and that your sin, your sin was placed on Him. And you personally have to make a decision in your life. When you fall under the conviction of the Spirit of God and you realize that you're the sinner that is undone before the Almighty God and that you deserve hell that you look to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me, and He will save you. He will. And once you believe, everything changes. The Bible says that those who are in Christ, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And what, do we, what happens in our lives? We do what these people, when they believe, oh God, look at my life. I've been a wicked sinner. Look, look at my works. I don't want any of those anymore. I want to live on the Lord. I want to live for the Lord from this day forward. And I want everybody to know I'm not ashamed to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So may the Lord help us. By the way, when there is a significant change in our lives that the world sees, the Word of God will grow and the Word of God will prevail. Why? Because it's prevailed in my life. And it's prevailed you.